The numbers say there are fewer people living on the street in San Francisco than a few years ago. But for a lot of residents, the problem of homelessness seems as persistent and serious as ever, if not worse. Why is that? Part of the explanation is that there are more people needing more things more often. Uh, That's a reality that that we've had to grapple with. I'm Laura Wenis. This week, nonprofit director Joe Wilson gives his perspective on what's happening in our streets, as someone who's been there and who's on the ground working with unhoused people every day. From the San Francisco Chronicle's SF Next project, this is Fixing Our City. According to the Chronicle's scientific opinion survey, homelessness continues to be the top issue that the most residents believe must be addressed. At the SF Next Solutions Conference last fall, some 170 people gathered to mull over these most important problems. One primary focus was homelessness. And to get an honest and clear picture of the situation, I talked with Joe Wilson. He is the executive director of Hospitality House, which serves predominantly adult residents who are struggling with homelessness and other socioeconomic issues. His time with Hospitality House started when he was a shelter resident in 1983. He found himself homeless in San Francisco. After working in various leadership roles at other organizations, he rejoined Hospitality House in 2012 and became the director five years later. I think that there's a sense that homelessness, street conditions are getting worse. People are seeing tents, they're seeing drug use, they're seeing other troubling behavior in public, and they get disheartened or they get angry. Sometimes they feel directly threatened by somebody who is on the street and who's lashing out. I wanted to ask you if what we see on the street is representative of the state of things, the whole picture, the whole experience of homelessness. That's a softball question. Um, I think it's probably no and yes. I think uh, it's certainly clear that conditions are worse now, or at least seem worse, than they've been in some time. Uh, We see far more visible evidence of homelessness and poverty than we have in some time. Organizations like ours, like Hospitality House, um, we've experienced um, uh, an increase in the number of people we're seeing. And I think part of the challenge is that the options have also decreased. So we have more people needing things and fewer options for those people. Um, The shelter reservation system, for example, is closed. So two and a half years ago, prior to the onset of the pandemic, there were more than 1,100 people on the wait list to get into emergency shelter. The city's approach to that problem was to eliminate the wait list, but not add more shelter beds. So it is true. It would be foolish of me to tell you to deny what you see every day. Yes, so you are seeing more people. Um, We don't think that's representative of the majority of stories in that there are people like me who found themselves for a variety of reasons (laughs) on the street, Um, and needed um, someone to reach out to them. In my case, several people (laughs) to reach out to me over a span of time. I think that affords us an opportunity to lift up the best of what community can be. 
Are there people among those who are out on the streets who are needing services who, for whatever reason, cannot actually take advantage of them or do not want to actually take advantage of them? That's certainly true to some degree. Uh, and I think there could be a variety of reasons why people turn away from uh, systems of support. Um, shelter programs, generally speaking, are not positive places to be. This from an individual who runs an organization that operates an emergency shelter. Um, I think there are um, trade-offs for people who have been on the street for extended periods of time that potentially they're not willing to make. Uh, again, we don't feel that that is the majority of people. The fact is, people want to get into shelter, they can't, because <laughs> the shelter beds don't exist. Virtually every treatment program in the city has some kind of wait list. Um, we don't have enough permanent supportive housing for the people who need it, and there's an additional problem of not being able to keep the vacant units full in permanent supportive housing, which does not reflect well on providers like me. But I don't think we want to make the assumption that people are service resistant naturally. The fact is the services by and large are non-existent. And so that exacerbates the problem by making fewer options for people who want to avail themselves of the options, irrespective of those who might choose a different path, which in our country, that's still okay. People can choose. What we've tried to do at Hospitality House, and certainly I'm an example of that, is to offer options for people. If we want people to make better choices, we offer better options. That's our responsibility. That's our commitment in being in a society, being in a community. And so I think we can actually do that. We have to suspend judgment sometimes, um, seeing people in conditions that are unsavory. Um, but in terms of lifting up the best of what our community can be, extending a hand is all, always better than slapping someone, than rebuking someone, than judging someone. Because we've all had situations where we were less than our best, and fortunately for a number of us, someone saw through that. We hear a lot about how much money the city is spending. You just said that there are not enough services, and yet constantly we're hearing, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, half a billion dollars, more than half a billion dollars. And I think that there's always a temptation to take, like, the homelessness department's budget and divide it by the number of homeless people who get counted on the one night on the street every couple of years. But, you know, we know from reporting that that doesn't really work well as a metric for a number of reasons. Partly it's because the city is spending a lot of that money on expensive interventions that are some of the most effective. And partly because at least some of the money is being spent on people who either are being kept out of the homelessness they were once in or who are housed and are being kept from becoming homeless. So, you know, you don't, you don't see the full picture by just looking at the n amount of money that's being spent. But I think still, you know, people wonder, we're spending all this money. The city says we're spending on, on interventions that work. You know, can't, can't people get that help? Why, why are we in this position where things look worse even when we have poured so much effort into fixing this? Part of the exp explanation is that there are more people needing more things more often. 
Uh, that's a reality that, that we've had to grapple with. The other is that housing continues to be, house, you know, nothing cures homelessness like a home, and housing continues to be the most expensive um, in San Francisco than it, almost any jurisdiction in the country. That's a reality we have to, we have to grapple with. We also have to acknowledge that where we have options or opportunities to invest smartly, we haven't always done that. I mean, I, it would be foolish of me to pretend that we've made all the right choices, because we haven't. What are some wrong choices we've Some made? wrong choices. Uh, we didn't uh, get as many people off the street um, for, uh, within shelter-in-place hotels that we had an opportunity to do that, when we had virtually 100% reimbursement from the federal government. That was a missed opportunity. We have not taken full advantage of opportunities to purchase uh, a number of the hotels that we could have when we had uh, significant investments and still have significant investments from the state and federal level to, to do that. We've done some of it. <laughs> it would be foolish to um, ignore at least some of the progress that has been made, but we did miss a number of opportunities to invest more heavily and to actually buy a number of hotels and better uh, living um, arrangements. Uh, and now we that, op, that window has, is closing. It hasn't closed completely, but it is closing. Uh, one number that I do want to lift up, um, in the two and a half years since the pandemic began, or at least the state of emergency was declared in March 2020, uh, more than 350,000 San Franciscans have experienced one or more instance of unemployment. That's a staggering number. That's more than half the city's adult population have experienced at least one instance of unemployment. For those of us in the homelessness response system, what that means is our universe of potentially homeless people is now 350,000 people. And so every investment has to be geared toward bigger, bolder, and more far-reaching solutions, and that is expensive. I'd also add, <laughs> that the most cost-effective intervention is always human intervention. All of the other interventions tend to be more, exp uh, more expensive. Uh, support groups are more effective than locked facilities. One-on-one um, -on -one counseling is more uh, effective than psychiatric emergency in San Francisco General. We have opportunities to really lean in and invest in heavily in making our communities incubators of hope rather than, um, uh, you know, environments of despair and separation uh, that keeps us apart from each other and renders, it makes it extremely difficult to make the case that we want people to step toward each other rather than away from each other. You've said before that in some of our systems we've taken the human element out of human services to eliminate human judgment, when in fact that's exactly what we need. It sounds like that's what you're getting at here. But maybe you can paint us a bit of a picture of what it actually looks like in our system right now. Because, you know, I haven't stayed in a shelter. I don't know what you mean when you say environments of despair. So the, the city's um, uh, entry point to... Um, the shelter system and the um, permanent house, permanent supportive housing system is something called coordinated entry. 
the federal government re requires localities who receive money through what is called the Continuum of Care Program through Housing and Urban Development that they need to have some process for um, allocating services and resources. It isn't nearly as prescriptive as we think it is. We have some choices we can make at the local level. Our choice has been something called coordinated entry. And so coordinated entry is essentially a computerized, algorithmic-based services priority system that assigns value for different conditions, for uh, physical disabilities, for uh, experience with domestic violence, for uh, behavioral health uh, issues. Uh, the problem for us uh, in communities across the country, and certainly San Francisco, is that that system is based on the supply rather than the scale of the problem. And so what happens is if you only have a thousand uh, uh, housing units, then only a thousand people are going to get in. Um, that's problematic. And it also makes it extremely difficult, as Laura was pointing out, people here, big numbers, a billion dollars is a big number. It's a thousand million. Uh, it is a big number. And people want to know why the problem isn't being solved. Well, the problem is bigger than we've let on. The options are fewer than we like to admit. And the housing options continue to be expensive. So we have to make some choices about what we want our communities to be. Nothing cures homelessness like a home. We have a range of options, housing options, that we can take advantage of. First and foremost, we have to be honest with you that the problem is bigger, it's harder, it's deeper, and it's more far-reaching than we've let on, and our solutions have to be creative. We have to avail ourselves of every housing option uh, that's out there. Um, buying uh, spaces that already exist is always less expensive than building them from the ground up. One unit of permanent housing um, uh, construction costs, like groundbreaking to occupancy, is roughly $750,000 per unit. That's an exorbitant cost. But housing subsidies are barely one-tenth of that. Um, you know, purchasing uh, spaces that already exist are, you know, even cheaper. And so those are the choices that we have to make. You have to push your elected leadership to make better choices. That's how we're going to build our way out of this. One life at a time, one positive example like me, a number of people along the way uh, gave me a sense of believing in myself, um, envisioning better for myself. Um, I'm a firm believer that um, we reconnect individuals back to the community, and then we build the community around each individual. Those are the things that have worked for a number of people in this room. Over the span of your life, you know, you've made mistakes. I've made mistakes. I've made poorer choices. There have been people who've still believed in the possibilities of better for me. That's how I got better by other people believing in me, inspiring a sense of belief in myself, even in my darkest days when the anticipating morning was not a positive experience. The things that people go through, they do sound horrific, and they do sound like what they really need is, 
you know, somebody to support them and reach out. I don't want to equate, you know, suffering, one kind of suffering to the other. But on the other side of this coin, people who are housed here are also really fed up with the situation. Don't they have a right to the use of their sidewalks, their street, their city? You know, what would actually work to improve conditions for everybody who lives here? Yes, they do have a right to... You might want to speak into your mic. So yes, they do have a right to <laughs> streets um, and sidewalks. Um, I'm reminded of the, the late activist and researcher Jane Jacobs, who talked about the intricate sidewalk ballet, ballet um, that was indicative of communities that are thriving. Um, we have to reclaim our communities and reclaiming our communities means that we reclaim the best in each other. Um, I think when we equate negativity, um, when we place a value on the individual based on the circumstances that we see that leads us astray, I think that in communities like the Tenderloin, um, where open space for children uh, is at a premium, uh, I think in places like uh, the mission uh, that in many ways represents the lifeblood of San Francisco. People are challenged every day with um, uh, negative activities. Um, I think we all have a responsibility to like one person a day you're going to say hello to, one person a day you're gonna make eye contact with, one person a day you're gonna extend a hand. Also with that, equation is holding your elected officials accountable for better. We can't always have the solutions as quickly as we might want them, but we can expect better from our elected officials. And so everyone has a part to play. What worked best for me in my situation was you know, several people, actually, the late Leroy Looper and his wife, Kathy, uh, put me up in their uh, Chateau Agape for a week when I, when I needed a place to stay. Um, the activist Yori Wada, um, who was, uh, among other things, uh, one of the founders of the Buchanan YMCA and a regent of, of the University of California, told me long ago that you need to use your voice to benefit those people who are not in the room it's not enough for you to be right. You have to do right by the people who aren't there. I think we have an opportunity, an obligation, to do right for everybody in our community. And that means uh, promoting the best of ourselves, to provide examples for other people when they might not be at their best, and to appreciate the fact that everyone is looking for an angel in some respect in their life. You can be that for someone. You can. And I think that one of the challenges is um, we've gotten used to wanting quick solutions to challenging and vexing problems that have been with us, frankly, for centuries. And he really does mean centuries. We'll talk about that after a break. At the SF Next Solutions Conference, I talked with Joe Wilson, executive director of the social service nonprofit Hospitality House. He says certain persistent ideas about poverty and how societies handle it have been with us for centuries. 
I should note also that you'll hear Wilson talk about the proposed oversight commission for the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing. This conversation happened before the 2022 election, in which voters did approve that commission. It'll be established this year. In 1601, there were a series of edicts uh, by the original Queen Elizabeth, uh, the Elizabethan Poor Laws. Um, Embedded in those laws were a couple of things, frankly, that are still with us. One, there was a distinction made between deserving poor and undeserving poor. Deserving poor were those who would work but could not. Undeserving poor were those who could work but would not. The uh, responsibility for vagrants was a local problem. The movement of vagrants from jurisdiction to jurisdiction had to be controlled. And the giving of alms directly to the poor was a practice to be discouraged, meaning money is harmful for poor people. Those things are still with us. They're still with us. 400 plus years later, we're still grappling with what it means to be human, what it means to be caring, what it means that despite all the evidence to the contrary, can we lift ourselves to a better plane? And doing that means that we have to have, we have to want the best from ourselves and the best in our communities in everything we do. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, that is hard. That is hard work. I'm not claiming that Hospitality House has figured this thing out. Hospitality House exists, though, as an alternative to people not feeling welcome in their community. That's why there's a hospitality house. 55 years ago, it began as a welcoming space um, for young people, you know, seeking acceptance in their community at the, you know, the onset of the burgeoning gay liberation movement. That has stayed with us over 55 years. And what we feel we do best is this idea that touch, relationships, human contact matters. Is there a way, you said we have to hold our elected officials accountable, you know, the city has to make the best uh, choices that it can, it can can choose to pursue more effective methods. Is there a way to introduce that humanity that you're talking about, that human touch, into what the city administratively does in the short term to, you know, move us in a better direction? One of the things we have to insist on, we can't have vacancies and permanent supportive housing while there are people on the street, right? I mean, you know, people, that's, that's a hard one to explain. Uh, and Do you have the numbers off the top of your head of how many units are empty right now? Almost 1,100. So, and, you know, there are reasons why. <laughs> We're not going to fill them overnight, but we need to fill them, right? And, and... The Chronicle, frankly, has lifted up the plight of individuals in permanent supportive housing. We, excuse me, we have to revisit what we mean by support in permanent supportive housing. Uh, we have human beings languishing on their own, isolated, deteriorating before our eyes. We have not fulfilled our obligation in permanent supportive housing. We can own that. It doesn't diminish us to acknowledge that. These are very important stories. These are human beings. These are lives that we have assumed a certain degree of responsibility for, at least in the communities. So first and foremost, filling those vacant units, uh, maximizing opportunities to purchase 
uh, non-congregate setting um, uh, hotels and other living arrangements. We've done some of that. We can continue to do more. We have roughly $450 million uh, in unexpended monies and Prop C allocation. That is inexcusable. We have to push our officials to allocate those dollars. The voters um, took a chance to say, okay, we can invest in more, right? But we want to see things happen. And so you have a right to, to call us on that. Um, and that's not unreasonable. We also have to ensure that law enforcement is not our best step forward. It is not. Poverty is, poverty is a crime, but poor people are not criminals. And so we can't conflate uh, drug use, drug dealing with homelessness. Those are two separate things. And one could very easily make the case that um, uh, drug use, uh, mental illness are as much consequences of homelessness as they are causes. And our own data lifts that up. The number one reason that people uh, cite for becoming homeless is loss of a job. The number one reason uh, they stay homeless is that the rent's too damn high. And so we have to acknowledge that's what we're dealing with. <laughs> Poverty, homelessness, or economic problems with economic solutions. Push your elected officials to make the right choices for our economy and our people here in San Francisco. And so uh, I say lift that up, get involved, get engaged, open your mind and your heart just a little bit more to let the light of humanity in. Because as frustrating as this is, our way out is being more human, not less. We have seen that across the country. When, when, people, start, when people stop believing in better, when they stop believing that their society can strive for more, they retreat to some darker recesses in their hearts that is terrifying for all of us. That's what it means to be in a society because we're all affected by that. We don't have to go there. We don't. We can make a better choice. We can. We owe each other to be human. We can do that. Yes, it's hard. That's what it matters in your love relationship. You know, it doesn't matter when the person's loving you when it's easy. When it's hard, that's when it counts. It's hard now. Let's make it count. I think that's a good place for us to close. Joe, thank you very much. I think we want to have some Q&A, right? I want to leave some time we, for that. Um, we are, yes. Yes. Thank you, guys. Joe, that was amazing. Um, we're going to give you all a chance to ask some questions. We'll have about 10 minutes or so. Um, we have, for those of you who are old enough to remember who Phil Donahue is, we're going to kind of do it that way. Uh, so we're going to, um, Emilio has a mic on that side of the room. I'll have a mic on this side of the room. Wait your turn. We'll try to get as much as we can going. And can you just give us your name before you ask the question? Yeah. Uh, Dan Freeman. I guess the question I have about the data you just gave us, why demand more money for more housing when you haven't filled the 1,100 beds? Because there are more people out there. And but so even, but you, if you can't put people in the beds, why make more? I mean, yes, I'm not saying we shouldn't make more. I'm just saying, like, how do you not prioritize that first? We should. Agreed. I'm not disagreeing. 
but we can do more than one thing at the same time. We need to fill the vacancies that we have, and we know we need more. I think it might be helpful for context, Joe. Do you know, you know, 1,100 sounds like a lot. Do we know what the total number of units is or what, how many units are filled? Um, roughly 8,000 units in our permanent supportive housing system. Um, we're far short of that, short of that in our uh, emergency shelter system, which should be seen as a continuum to, to permanent housing, not permanent housing itself. Uh, and we do have opportunities to continue to purchase through the project home, home key resources. So we need to do all of those things. I agree that we prioritize the vacant units we have. That's the low-hanging fruit. But we know we need to do more than that. Okay, we have one over here. Just uh, state your name, Deanne. Hi, Deanne Work. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how we might coordinate better between the various city agencies and the various nonprofits so we can make better use of the resources that we have? Because I get the sense there's some overlap, turf battles, that maybe we're not making the best use of what we're spending. Thanks. The executive branch and the legislative branch have to cooperate. Um, they do. And, uh, <laughs> yes. Um, and in our homelessness response system, um, the uh, service providers um, have to each acknowledge that we have a responsibility and we need to be held accountable for meeting those responsibilities. Oftentimes, I can tell you as the executive director of a nonprofit, the resources fall short of the expectations. But we came to this, right? It's like, I, I think that there's an opportunity for an engaged citizenry to really push elected officials to, um, to honor their obligations to improve the quality of life for all, right? And I think for that, that means showing up to meetings, uh, bringing somebody with you, uh, participating, stretching yourself into other communities. Homelessness is a citywide problem. It's true that um, in terms of the numbers, they're the, uh, in District 6, 5, um, there are more homeless people than there are, or more unhoused people in, in that district than there are in 10 of the, the other 10 districts remaining, but it's still a citywide problem. Everybody can do something in their community. Push your district supervisor to do something we have some people on the street, again, in every district, have opportunities, have options for those. Push your elected officials to do that and hold city departments, the ones that have commissions, I'm going to get political here just for a second, uh, Homelessness and Supportive Housing does not have a commission, it should, for improved accountability and engagement and transparency, you need that, an opportunity for people like you to confront, to ask questions, to get answers. Um, that is the responsibility and the hallmark of an enlightened community. Hi, Joe, thank you so much for your time. My name is Kendra and I have three questions, so feel free to cut me off. Um, the first of which is you were saying that 
um, some of the available housing, it does not work for people who are currently looking for housing. And you mentioned there need to be better options. And I'd love to hear what the better options may be, um, in addition to just having more beds. The second question I have is, are we looking into the available office space right now um, for housing, for affordable housing? and for getting people off the street. And then the third is we've had these major settlements right now with Purdue Pharma and Johnson & Johnson, and we've seen this money coming out of the pharmaceutical companies. I know a lot of it's going to mental health and addiction services, but are we seeing money come to the city for housing um, related to the opioid crisis? Take the last one first, uh, not enough. Um, yeah, that's the, the short version. Um, uh, office space conversion is exactly the direction we need to be headed. Um, better options include uh, better amenities, um, um, private bathrooms, cooking facilities. Not everybody functions well in a communal environment. There should be a range of options for people. Uh, obviously, it's cheaper for group housing than it is for uh, private bathrooms in, in every unit, but that's what we need to be pushing for. We have one more here. Is this, uh, is this mic working? There we go. You had a question. Can you grab this? Sorry. State your name. Hi. Um, my name is Lisa Layton. I'm a retired public health nurse, and I worked at the end of my career at Curry Senior Center working with a lot of homeless and formerly right homeless down the folks. Um, and Partially in response to what you had asked, um, I really don't think the problem is that the different agencies don't coordinate well. The problem is that the resources just aren't there. Um, when I was trying to find a place for one of my patients, it wasn't the people saying, well, I've got a spot, but you can't have it. There just wasn't any spot. If I was trying to find mental health treatment or substance abuse treatment for one of my patients. It wasn't that people weren't cooperating me and getting the place. It was that there was a six-month wait. Um, so it really is, as you have also emphasized about, we need more services, more services, more services, and we need more and better housing. I saw a lot of my patients lived in SROs. Most of them are awful. <laughs> um, is there a question? So, well, well, yeah. Um, I guess my question is, when you keep saying that we need to hold our elected officials accountable, I would like to know a little bit about how to do that. Showing up uh, is one way to do it. Uh, to your first point, I would say both things can be true. <laughs> there can be a lack of coordination and a lack of resources. Right, both things can be true. Um, and I think that um, on a typical board of supervisors agenda is an item phrase, something like the board is going to vote whether to accept and expend a grant for blah, blah, blah. Right? Well, that's on the agenda. It's part of the public record. So some meetings down the line, you want to ask, what happened to that? Did we accept that money? Did we expend it? What happened? I mean, those are legitimate questions. Um, I work at a, you know, a community-based nonprofit. 90% of our funding is uh, public sources. People have a right to ask me questions, Joe, what happened to that? That's fine. 
I think that's helpful for people to realize that they have a voice, they have a stake in the outcome, and we want everybody to feel that we're individually and collectively owning our responsibility. And frankly, our elected leaders are representing us in their work. We have a right to ask questions. We have a right to get answers. I think we're going to need to stop there. Joe, thank you so much. This was really enlightening. That was Joe Wilson, executive director and former client of the homeless services nonprofit Hospitality House, speaking at the SF Next Solutions Conference in October 2022. You can find full panel audio and coverage of the event, as well as other solutions journalism, at sfchronicle.com sfnext. We also want to check out your ideas. Do you have a solution you want the city to pursue? Do you know someone who's making a difference on an important issue? Send an email to sfnext at sfchronicle.com. You can also DM us on Twitter. We're at SFNext. I'm Laura Wenis. Next time on Fixing Our City, San Francisco's got a bit of a crappy reputation when it comes to street conditions. We'll revisit our reporting on how the city cleaned up its act. See you next week. Cynthia Lopez produces and reports for Fixing Our City. Gary Baca is our sound engineer. King Kaufman is the executive producer. Jonathan Krim is the SF Next project editor. Fixing Our City is part of the San Francisco Chronicle's SF Next project, exploring how the city will shape its future and tackle its biggest problems. Read stories by our reporters, check out interactive data breakdowns, and find our podcast archive at sfchronicle.com sfnext. If you have a solution you'd like us to cover or you know about a city that's doing something right, get in touch. Shoot an email to sfnext at sfchronicle.com or find us on Twitter at SFNext.